Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Karen and I are at uh, the graduation of our first grandchild. He's valedictorian. He is giving a Christ-honoring speech to a stadium full of people. I have to leave. I'm going to be driven through the night to go speak in another state. I say, honey, I love you. We're still sitting in the bleachers there. And she said, well, I love you. But then she teared up, which was uncharacteristic. And I said, honey, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm really going to miss you. And I said, oh, don't worry. It won't be long. The next day, she was gone. Suddenly, in the living room of our home, this is the love of my life since I was 19. I knew how to do life with Karen. I didn't know how to do life without her. Dealing with grief, with depression, with anxiety, any mental health issue can be extremely challenging. Finding that light at the end of the tunnel, finding that hope can be even more difficult. Ron Hutchcraft was devastated in 2016 when he lost the love of his life, Karen, to a sudden heart attack. He turned to God for strength and comfort, but instead found the hope to move forward despite the circumstances. Today on Connections, Ron will share with us how he found hope when his heart was breaking and how you can also find that hope. We're joined today by Ron Hutchcraft. He's a veteran ministry leader, a radio broadcaster, speaker, founder, and president of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries, as well as on Eagles Wings Native American Youth Outreach. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Ron. How did you get involved in ministry? And also uh, curious how you got involved in radio. Sure. Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I'm a city boy, and uh, my early ministry was there. But the family that I was growing up in uh, was... Uh, I, I never heard about Jesus. We didn't talk about him. I first didn't have a relationship with him initially until my baby brother died. And as a result of that devastating tragedy, my dad was wrecked by it because he really had no place to go with his absolutely, totally broken heart. He Something inspired him, uh, someone <laughs> inspired him to drop me off at church on Sunday mornings, a local church. He didn't go in. He waited for me. Uh, and uh, it was there that I discovered uh, the hope of Jesus and that he loved me enough to die for me and was powerful enough to walk out of his grave, and he came into my life. I told my dad, I don't think he understood it. He wasn't against it, but a few months later, he found Jesus. My mom did, got a whole new mommy and daddy out of the deal, and um, that changed everything. While I was in high school, I really got uh, very burdened for um, my fellow teenagers, and for the rest of my life, I have to tell you that I've one of the constants has been cross-cultural youth ministry, first in the Chicago area for almost 30 years in the metropolitan New York area, uh, in uh, New York City, places like Harlem, for example. <clears throat> On the other hand, I was traveling and speaking, been to Canada many times, and uh, speaking there and on every continent, and finding some of the same needs and the same gospel where it could meet the deepest needs of the human heart. Radio, I didn't, uh, somebody else had that idea. I didn't. I didn't even think it was a good idea because it was so impersonal. <laughs> Guess what? I don't believe that anymore <laughs> since the 1980s. And now I know that radio is a relationship with the person listening like it is right now. And, uh, and it's deeply personal. So um, I talk to one person when I'm on the radio, and now I have a, a five-minute program that uh, much all to God's glory is on about 1,300 outlets across North America, and uh, 
in the five most spoken languages in the world. So I'm very fluent now in Mandarin and Arabic. No, I'm not. But but somebody else is (laughs) who uses our broadcast. So we're glad for that. And um, we also do a lot of work with indigenous young people. And I know Winnipeg is kind of the indigenous capital (laughs) as far as indigenous population, urban wise. And we've been in some of those neighborhoods with a team of uh, young Native American and First Nations people. Very cool. What has been uh, some of your favorite moments of uh, ministry over the years and memorable moments going into uh, different countries and different cultures and and bridging that gap between youth and Jesus? Oh, my goodness. Well, being in South Africa during apartheid and after apartheid was gone and seeing at a conference where uh, black and white young people were together for the first time in their lives at a Christian conference and to see the healing that broke out, the forgiving that broke out, the coming together that took out, uh, to came to, that happened that week, all because of the power of a risen Christ uh, was amazing. Uh, to be in Belfast, Northern Ireland during the Troubles, and to watch God working there, had have had some wonderful moments with the Billy Graham team, and I had the privilege of heading up the crusade in Northern New Jersey for. Uh, Billy Graham some years ago, and to see tremendous breakthroughs. Uh, A lot of my life has been with people outside the church, like my family was. (laughs) up, And um, then uh, I think some of my greatest moments actually have been uh, not those big places and big events, but have been on um, reservations and reserves, where there is a belief that Jesus is the white man's God, when, in, as a matter of fact, he was a brown-skinned man from a tribe called Judah, yeah. lived on land that had been occupied by others, uh, was poor, was homeless, died a violent death. It sounds so much mm. like the res. But I have seen thousands of indigenous young people choose Christ. But I'm a little white guy on a bus praying for a team of indigenous young people who become the messengers of the hope that saved their lives, changed their lives. This, this Yeshua, this Jesus, uh, and to watch them being the proclaimers is more exciting than me being it, even though I love doing it, and far more effective. And uh, to see them break through to the hearts of their own generation is one of the great miracles I've ever seen. That's, that's- so amazing. That was one of the questions I was going to have. What is that like to be able to watch that? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a battle. It's nerve-wracking sometimes because it is a battle. Battles are not fun, but victories are. And to see Indigenous young people see their potential as they get out and take risks that many people, uh, many of us church folks would never take, Uh, to go into an environment where they know their message initially will not be welcome. And to see that change so dramatically, all I can tell you is um, it becomes a real worship experience to see that cases, what Billy Graham called the forgotten people who are in the U S would be native Americans have not been forgotten by God and that this may very well be their time. 
Now, Ryan, you spent decades ministering good news to people and bringing them into relationships with Jesus and uplifting them in difficult times. Uh, but you've recently released your first book in over a decade, and it comes out of a place of your own heartache. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, yeah. You know, Mike, um, I was born on the best day of my wife's life and the worst day of mine. Because it was a day <laughs> Jesus. And it was a day I lost the love of my life. Oh, May, um, let me just take you to a May 15th. Sunday night, Karen and I are at uh, the graduation of our first grandchild. He's valedictorian. He is giving a Christ-honoring speech to a stadium full of people. I have to leave. I'm going to be driven through the night to go speak in another state. I say, honey, I love you. We're still sitting in the bleachers there. And she said, well, I love you. But then she teared up, which was uncharacteristic. And I said, honey, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm really going to miss you. And I said, oh, don't worry, it won't be long. The next day she was gone. Suddenly, in the living room of our home, this is the love of my life since I was 19. This is a woman who had such an enormous impact on so many lives and on mine, um, a, a force of love um, that was indescribably powerful. Well, I knew how to do life with Karen. I didn't know how to do life without her. And suddenly I was the lost little boy who didn't know what to do next, literally in the next 10 minutes. Um, I started, I cried out to Jesus. I knew to do that. And a few days later, I started a grief journal, which actually little that I know would become the seed of the book. But in that grief journal, I wrote these words one day. It had to come from God because I wasn't coherent enough to think it. I will not waste this grief. Bold letters, you can see it. I will not waste this grief. And then I prayed, Lord, if it's going to hurt this bad, do not let me waste this. Please somehow use it to make me more useful to you and of more value to other people. All I can tell you is the last four years have been him answering that prayer in such powerful ways. I feel Jesus like I've never felt him before. I feel other people's hurts like I've never felt them before. My, like the Grinch in the Grinch that stole Christmas, my heart has grown three sizes through it all, but through a very expensive, painful process that taught me that loss, whatever is a major life loss, leads to grieving, and grieving puts you at the threshold of choices to make. And it will not be the loss that will determine whether the rest of your life is filled with hope or hurt. It will be the choices you make as a result of the loss. What has been the biggest thing that you've learned uh, through the process of writing this book uh, about grief and the most that you can share with others? Um. <laughs> That's why there's a book, because there's no way I could do it quickly. But let me summarize this way. First of all, grieve your grief. Do not stuff it, or it will own you. So many people, the choice they make is to internalize the hurt, because it hurts so bad, or they need to appear strong or give the Christian talking points. I determined, with God's grace and help and guidance, that 
I was going to feel my grief and face into it. And that became what I call in the book, Defiant Hope. That's part of that. I will not waste this grief thing. Shakespeare said, give sorrow words. Yeah, do that. Do that. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But you got to let yourself mourn for the comfort. Mm -hmm. And don't try to escape the grief and try to drink it away or drug it away or relationship it away or get busy it away. Um, Don't run from it. Don't try to escape it. If you can share the journey with other people who are on that journey, who have been, like in a grief share group, help my daughter tremendously. Please do that. And just, you know, realize that a broken heart is an open heart. I mean, it is ripped open and it's open in places you never even knew there were places before. And if at that moment you will desperately cry out to Jesus to come in and move in to the deepest parts of your exposed soul, he will bring a comfort and a closeness and a love and a security and a perspective that is beyond words and that literally no one on earth can give but him. Ultimately, what I have learned is there's only one unlosable love. There's only one unlosable hope. It's described, well, in Romans 8, it says, nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I've anchored myself to Hebrews 6.19, which says about Jesus, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So whether your loss is marital or parental or medical or your dream has died or the wounds of your past continue to haunt and hurt you, ultimately there are choices you can make that will lead you on a road to hope and healing. And somehow my prayer is that this book isn't to me about books. It's about lives. And even someone listening right now, and this might be a blueprint that could begin to turn the hurt, not only into hope for you, but even so much hope that you'd have it to give to other people in a world where you're surrounded by broken people. How do we reach those that are not at a point where they're like, oh, God, what's that? How do we reach those so that we can help them to understand that there is hope? I think with our story, Colleen, uh, you know, the thing that uh, people uh, may not agree with your beliefs or want to hear your beliefs, probably don't. Uh, They may not want to go to the meetings you go to, (laughs) especially if they're religious meetings. Um, But they will listen to your story. And if, in fact, it's interesting that uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15 that we should be ready to explain the hope that we have. And that hope simply is anchored to a living, resurrected Savior named Jesus. And if you can testify to how this living Savior, not Christianity the religion, 
not Christians, the followers, but Jesus, who is the what the Bible calls living hope, that there is something on the other side of the grief scale that is just as real as the hurt and even more powerful. And so there is a place to go and you are anchored to a man who crushed death, walked out of his grave, and who adds a word to the word life, eternal. And if what I am going through is a dark, cold winter, and I think the winter's unbearable, the one thing that gets me through it is knowing there's a spring, except because it's guaranteed by a resurrected Savior. The spring will last forever. The winter will be short comparatively. I got spring coming. So I could stand. And this is my story. I could stand at the open grave of the love of my life. Throw the last handful of dirt in. And say with full confidence. See you soon, baby. See you soon. And I know I will. As Jesus guaranteed it. Most definitely. Uh, a message like this is even more so important in a year uh, like we've been experiencing with the pandemic, mm. with the loss, with the grief, with the depression, yep. and everything that has come along with that. A message like this is important. You know, Colleen, I, uh, I didn't. How would I know when this book was going to come out? There was no pandemic. Um, in fact, <laughs> If you knew the story of the writing of the book, uh, I mean, it got interrupted four times by four shoulder surgeries. I couldn't write my shoulder healing and my arm all, you know, I couldn't use my arm. And so uh, it was supposed to be one surgery, it turned out to be four. And then because of uh, all that the uh, the pandemic started to do the, the, and other issues started to do to the publishing industry, they're like, well, the book's going to come out in January of 2021. We're like, What? Uh-huh. Are you loading the print on the cartridge by, by hand? What's happening here? It's taking so long. It's perfect. I'm hearing, if you could just read the mail I'm getting day after day after day of, of broken hearts that are so open and being so, as one lady said, this is a hug from heaven. And I can't it begin to, I'm blown away by what's happening. And the timing, as you said, Colleen, has caused me to just be in awe of God. It's come out at at perhaps the most hope-starved time uh, that we've had in a long time. And so many hopes failed us in the past year. So many things we thought we could hang on to have been there in the past and maybe were adequate for little stuff, but this was too intense, hit too hard hit too long, hit too deep. And we've looked for a real lasting hope. And we got it in Jesus. And so I'm so grateful to God that he, through uh, the most devastating loss of my life, has birthed something that is pouring life and hope into other people's lives. I'm honestly stunned by it. How can our listeners find out more about this book and more about you? 
Well, uh, the message of the book is more important than finding out more about <laughs> But uh, the best place to go on the book, I think, of course, you can go to Amazon. They got it, and there's a lot of reviews there, and they've been people very kind with that. But uh, if you want to go to Hope When Your Heart is Breaking, that's the title of the book, HopeWhenYourHeartIsBreaking.com. Uh, there's a little video there of me telling a little bit about the origin of the book and so on. And uh, you can uh, you can actually get it there. Many people are giving it to, uh, they're finding, they make a list of people to give it to as they read it, I'm hearing. And um, oh, and for the larger part of our ministry and transcripts of the radio programs and so on, if you go to Hutchcraft, my last name, Hutchcraft, just think of the art of making rabbit houses, Hutch. Craft. There you go. Hutch.com. Uh, you'll be uh, you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to look at more aspects of our ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's a privilege to be with you guys. Thank you for the lighthouse that you are for for people who love Jesus and people who are seeking him. Ron has so much more to share with us, and you can hear that extra bonus material on our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that podcast at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.